Thank you, Pastor. It's an honor to share this morning. We're in Psalms chapter 63, if you want to go in and turn in your Bible. The, the other night, it was after dinner, and we were all kind of sitting there as a family. And I, I tried to linger. The dinner table is kind of the only time that iPods are turned off. You know, the iPad is closed away, and we're just sitting there talking. And um, I always tell the kids, hold on, hold on, I want to make some coffee. And so they have to kind of sit there while I'm making coffee and then uh, just try to hang out as long as we can. One night, this was about a week or so ago, um, Ron and I started this. We were kind of playing a game um, and picking places in the U.S. that we would love to live. And um, Ron, and if you know her at all, Florida. Uh, she was talking about Florida and, um, you know, the white beaches there on the Gulf. And, and I said, no, 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 California, that's where the waves are. I mean, that's where you can surf. That's where, and we're kind of going back and forth. Obviously, because she loves Florida and I love California, we're in Kansas City. Obviously, that's compromise there. <laughs> and and we keep joking, and I'm going on and on and on about how California, I've been to California once for about three days, but just, and just kind of being funny and everything. And Ronan looks at me and her face turns really serious. And she goes like this. And um, now I'm a guy, I'm slow. And I'm like, I must have something on my neck. And I keep going on and on and on about, I'm like, boys, you would love California so much. You know, we would walk to the beach and we'd see celebrities everywhere and, you know, the mountains. And I, I think, I mean, I was just seeing it too. That's how it looks. It's great. And, and, and finally she's like, Joe, stop. And I turn and look, and my six-year-old son is in tears. And um, I'm like, Justice, buddy, what's, what's wrong? You know, what's, what's going on? And, and I kid you not, he says to me, he says, Daddy, I don't want to move. And I said, oh, we're just, we're just having fun, and we're just being silly. He's, and he says to me, he says, I don't want to leave my church. I don't want to leave my church. And um, you know, I'm so, uh, I just want to take a moment for us. I'm so thankful for Pastor and, and Eunice and all the staff, pastors, um, and the other deacons in this church and leaders in the church and um, for the depth of ministry that goes on at our church here. Uh, your kids are being ministered the, the simplistic truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Pastor Jeremy, who inspires and challenges in the most creative ways I've ever heard of, uh, the young people here at this church, and um, all the different classes and ministries. And if you're visiting, this is your first Sunday here. First off, I'm sorry you're stuck with me. But uh, second off, you found your church home. Um, I, I am convinced that this is uh, the greatest church in Kansas City, and I'm so thankful to be a part of the church here. Um, it's Psalms chapter 63. Pastor started this series last week, and I wasn't here. I was out of town. I, I've listened to the podcast a couple times. And uh, this is about navigating that dry place. Um, for, for us, uh, maybe individually, a dry place is this. And somebody else, a dry place might mean something else. It might mean kind of your finances. Or to you, it might mean just work. Or a spiritually dry place. I, I don't know where God's at in my situation. Maybe it's a sickness. Like the sickness, it won't, it won't break. It won't go away. I, I've been treated, and now, now the side effects from the medicine are worse than the illness. And and, and this blood pressure, it won't come back down. Or, or maybe it's a lost loved one, and, and, and you're now in a dry place. And uh, maybe it's a young person trying to figure out what school, what career, what I do with the rest of my life, and not knowing or not ever really having an encounter with Jesus Christ. And, and walking with that doubt, is, is he real? Is it truth? Is it, how do I know? And a dry place 
for us can be all kinds of different things. A pastor shared about last week, and it's so true, that we all walk through dry places. We all experience them. Maybe many of us are experiencing them right now. And, and pastor talked about last week about how in that dry place, not only do we pray that God would alter our situation, but sometimes a humble prayer to say, God, alter my attitude. God, in the midst of my situation, alter my attitude. And um, pastor shared about just simply how to praise your way out of a situation, how to pray your way through a situation. And that, the last point that he had about prophesying your way out of a dry place. To speak life to someone else, even though you yourself are experiencing a dry place. A dry place doesn't mean you're on the sidelines. A dry place doesn't mean that you can't be used by God. But yet in a dry place that God is not only moving in our lives, but he can move through, through our lives. And this morning I'm going to piggyback on that. We're going to talk about um, how in a dry place that God can birth new beliefs in our life. Maybe eliminate some bad, faulty beliefs that we have and birth new beliefs in our lives. I want to read this whole Psalms, if you'll let me. Now, I'm going to get stuck on the first six words. Psalm 63, verse 1. I mean, listen to this. Oh, God, you are my God. It's like, God, God of my fathers, God that I've heard about, God that has been written about, you are my God. I pray this morning that you know God like that. Oh, God, creator of the universe, you are my savior. You're, you're my Lord. In a time of distress, I only call your name. I, Jesus Christ, you are the savior of the world. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. Verse two, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have beheld your power and your glory. Your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Verses 9, 10, and 11. They who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. God, I pray today that you would anoint your word. God, you would open our ears to hear our hearts to receive. And and God, I pray in the midst of a crisis of transformation, in the midst of just holding on, hoping, dreaming, or believing that you'll move on our behalf, God, I pray that you'll break through like the early morning breaks through dawn. God, I pray today that we can have a new revelation, a, a new hope, a new faith, that God, you are God in the midst of good times and in the midst of bad times, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have, have you experienced a situation where you said, God, where are you? Have you experienced a situation where maybe you didn't say it, but you just felt it? Like, like God, God, what's, what's going on? I, I saw the movie, uh, Heaven is for Real. 
And, um, you know, I, I was a little bit concerned about seeing it. Um, I was like, man, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to see it. Sometimes you see a Christian movie and it's, you're like, it's not it's done as well. And, and, and I don't like that. I think things done um, by the church, things done for God should be done better. Um, and I, I just kind of, I think our music should be better. I mean, why not? We're singing about the King of Kings. And so I, but I watched the movie. And I absolutely loved how the pastor was portrayed in that movie. See, we have an idea, uh, unless you've been a pastor, <laughs> that your pastor never doubts. See, we have this kind of mentality that, that, that there's no strife in the pastor's marriage. But in this movie, the pastor and his wife are, are struggling. They're struggling financially. I mean, he's working multiple jobs and, and working at the church, and, and he still can't make ends meet. And him and his wife are arguing over finances, and he's like, well, just wait to pay that bill, and, and we'll wait to do that. And he comes home exhausted one night, and he forgot that this is the night that the wife is having the ladies over, and they're having a choir practice. And he's sitting on the front porch with his son, who he hasn't seen all day. His son hasn't ate yet, and he's like, son, I'll, I'll take you out for pizza. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll take you out for pizza. As soon as the words come out of his mouth, his phone rings, and they said, so-and-so's at the hospital. You've got to go visit them and pray with them right now. And the pastor turns to his son and says, I- I'm sorry, I- I've got to go. He spent like five minutes with his son. And his son says, Daddy, Daddy, I, I want to go with you. And so he drags his son to the hospital. And he's just exhausted. And then the scene where his son uh, has to be rushed to the emergency room. And, and there's a scene, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm sorry. Uh, but there's a scene where this pastor is in the chapel. And you wouldn't know he's the pastor because he's arguing with God. He's upset with God. He's like, God, I've sacrificed so much for you. And I've lost so much trying to pursue your will for my life. And he has this scene in tears. And he says, and now you're going to take my boy. And he kicks a chair over and flings something across the room. And it's that moment where you're like, pastors don't doubt. They don't have fear. And I don't know why as Christians we think, that if we're experiencing a dry place, we're bad. If we're experiencing a dry place, God is punishing us. Uh, the Bible says it rains on the just and it runs on the unjust. It, and, and, and Pastor referenced last week this, this kind of going back and forth theologically. Is, is God in control of everything or, or are we deists where God created and then he steps back? No, and I don't think so. Or both. <laughs> I mean, God is an ever-present help, but why did this happen? Why am I experiencing this? What is going on? And there are times in your life as a Christian where you will be angry at God. There are times where you'll doubt God, and there's times where you'll experience fear even though you're trying to hold on to faith. And I want to encourage you this morning that as you experience those emotions, the key is to keep going. It's in your place where you're angry and questioning God on a situation. Don't stay there. Don't reside there. Don't make it your mission in life to question everything. I, I know people my age who are angry at God because of something that happened. I'm like, I've experienced anger, but I don't want to stay there. I, I don't want that to be the place I stay. I've I've experienced pain, I've experienced loss, but I don't want to stay there. 
It completely perverts your picture of who Jesus Christ is. It also does if you say, I'll never be angry. I'll never experience any pain. I'll never experience any loss. I mean, it will touch your life, but you can't let it define your life. You might feel like this morning, that's good preacher talk, but how do I do it? I'm not sure. (laughs) But I think David had a little bit of a grasp in this in Psalm 63. He says in verse 2, I've seen you in a sanctuary and I have beheld your power and your glory. It's not an idea. Like, I've, I've held on to it. I've beheld it. As soon as I was reading these verses and I started studying and putting this message together and I, that phrase, I, I've beheld your glory, I thought of Moses when he had an encounter with, with God. And he has the voice of God. Moses, at, at the point where he's having this conversation with God, he owns nothing. He has no land. He has no, everything he works is his father-in-law's. And he's having this encounter with God on Mount Nowhere, the middle of nowhere. And he has this encounter with God. And Moses keeps saying, God, I, I think you found the wrong guy. Let me tell you why. I can't do this, this, and this. And, and then God says, what's in your hand? And Moses says, nothing. I, I have nothing. I mean, I have a stick. But God, to be honest, a stick isn't even mine. It's off my dad's land. So technically... I'm borrowing this. It's dead. I have nothing, and what I think I have is dead. And God says, throw it down. And Moses, this mighty man of God, <laughs> I love this scene. So he takes the stick, and he throws it down, and it turns into a snake. And Moses, instead of saying, you are God, he turns and he runs. <laughs> he runs and he hides. And this picture of God rolling his eyes is like, Moses, send an angel and bring him back. You know, bring Moses, come here. You know, come back. And God is showing that thing that you think it's in your hand is so dead, so lost, has so much potential. It has the potential to be something supernatural. I have a friend. You know, I haven't seen him for years. And, and I was telling my boys about him this morning. They've never met him. Um, and he's an older gentleman. I'm not even for sure if he's alive anymore. I think some of you know him. Tell me after the service. Good friend of mine, his name is Vensel. Vensel has advanced stages of Parkinson. And um, he can barely walk. Uh, he has trouble talking and communicating at all. And um, his hands and his arms and his head and even his feet are just in constant motion. He just, he can't stop. And um, I remember the first time I ever met him, Ron and I were youth pastoring, and we had this outreach center. And on the weekends, there would be pool tables, ping pong, video games. They would have uh, a cafe, a little restaurant, a coffee bar, just to hang out for young people on the weekends. And, and one night I saw this station wagon pull right up front. And uh, this old lady steps out of the car, and she opens the passenger door, I haven't met him yet, but it's Vinsel. Vinsel wasn't allowed to drive anymore. There's no way he could drive an automobile. And she gets Vinsel out, and she's helping him up the steps and bringing him inside. And, and uh, she says, she says, Joe, we haven't met you yet, but um, this is my husband, Vinsel. She's speaking for him because it was too hard for him to get the words out. And she says, he wants to hang out here tonight. Is that okay? And, you know, I'm standing there, and I think, 
how do you how do you turn someone away? But it's obvious this is for teenagers or young adults to hang out. I'm like, sure, it's fine. She's like, I'll stay, and if it doesn't work, you know, we'll leave. And um, she says, Joe, he wants to play you at ping pong. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I said, I'm sorry. And she said, he wants to play you at ping pong. And I said, okay. And so we go over to the ping pong table. And, I mean, she has to walk him to the ping pong table. And, and she's trying to get the paddle in his hand. And, and he, can't, he can't even really hold the paddle up. And he's trying to maneuver his hands. And it's, I mean, it's difficult for me to watch. And, and I'm asking myself, how am I going to do this? I mean, how am I going to play ping pong with, with Vincel? How? And he finally gets it in his hand, and, and he has it kind of turned upside down in his hand. And, and I, I, I kind of want to explain to him, but I'm like, you know, I, and I said, Vincel, are you ready? And he kind of, you know, gives me a head nod, and I'm like, are you, are you sure, Vincel? Are, are you ready to go? And his wife says, go ahead, hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it to him. And I said, okay, and, and, you know, as soft as I can. I mean, I just kind of like dink, and it goes to him. And I kid you not, all of a sudden, Vincel, boom. And I'm like, what, what? So I have to run across the room and I go get the ping pong ball. And I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, I, I don't know how that worked. And so, so I just kind of tap it to him again. And he goes, boom. And it hits me in the chest. And I got to confess, it hurt. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, what's, what's going on here? And I'm like, I'm not going to let him do that again. I'm going to put a little, I'll hit it easy, but I'll put a little bit of spin on. I hope his wife doesn't get upset with me. But that one hit me. And so I kind of, you know, put a little bit of spin on it. And he reaches across the table and just, boom, spikes it on me again. And he goes, three nothing. (laughs) I'm like, what? And it's, okay, okay. I I feel bad, but I'm going to be, and all of a sudden, like, teenagers start to come over and they're watching and there's a crowd forming, and they're like, what's his name? And they're like, I don't, what's your name? And, and his wife says, it's Vincel. And they're like, come on, Vincel, get him. And I'm like, what, the whole room just turned on me. <laughs> so I'm hitting harder, and I'm trying to spin. The- seven nothing, he puts his paddle down and says, seven nothing, skunk. Next. <laughs> and I'm like, what just happened? And I kid you not, every single young person who got up to play him, lost, I'm pretty sure, 7 nothing. It's something happened as soon as that started to come to him. Something came over him. He was able, in spite of that, he was able to still maneuver and move. I'm not joking. I mean, Vincent was reaching behind his back. I mean, he was like, watch this one, going like this, behind the head, reaching across the table. I'm like, I can't do that. And after, afterwards, I said, I said, Vincel, I said, how did, how did you do that? And he said, I used my good hand. <laughs> and I, that was my reaction. I was like, Vincel, how did you do that? And he winked at me, and he said, I'm just using my good hand. And Vincel would come week after week after week. It got so that his wife would just drop him off and come back in a few hours and come pick him up. Vincent would come and play ping pong with kids, and they would just flock around to him. And they would say, Vincent, teach me how to do that. And he couldn't. He couldn't teach him how to do it. He couldn't explain. It's just while he was playing, in spite of that, just something came over him, and he was able to play. 
Vincent had a heart for young people. The whole reason he showed up was not to show me up, although it happened week. I've never beat him at ping pong, never. But he would use that to start to talk to young people about the Lord. And he would start to share with them. And Vincent, as we operated a youth outreach center to win young people to Jesus, Vincent was winning them week after week after week, just sharing how God is God because he was able to build this relationship with them in spite of his situation, because he used his good hand. He was leveraging his situation that he could not change, that he was praying and believing that God would heal him, but in spite of it, he was saying, God, just put something in my hand. God, in spite of my situation, in spite of this dry place, in spite of my difficulty, God, give me something to leverage for your kingdom. I was telling my son this morning, Justice, my six-year-old. And I was reminding him this story because he doesn't remember. We were at, had just gone on a camping trip. We were in downtown Kansas City. Not camping in downtown Kansas City. But we were in down, downtown Kansas City. And we had a tent and sleeping bags and pillows and blankets and everything in the car. Now, I don't know if your wife's camp with you like mine does, but here's how it goes. Ron and I may be in trouble after this. So we go, and Ron and visits, and she eats with us, and there's that time where they close the gates, and nobody can come in, and nobody can leave. And that's the moment where my wife says, boys, I'll see you in the morning. (laughs) And she leaves, goes home if we're camping local, or finds some house to go to, (laughs) some air conditioned, some heat somewhere. And then she comes back in the morning. We're like, she's so clean and her hair's done and we're such a mess. And so this is after one of those trips. And we meet this young couple and they're homeless. And they start sharing with us and we're talking to them. And um, I'm wanting to do anything I can to help them. And um, there's a bit where they feel ashamed for their situation. And um, even that we're talking to them, and, and they said, really, you know, we, we just kind of want to be left alone, and they were living in their car, and the mom says, there is one thing, though. She's like, it, it gets pretty cold at night. Do you have any blankets or, or pillows or sleeping bags? And it, it completely slipped my mind. I'm like, I don't, I don't have anything like that on me, you know? I'm, I don't, my six-year-old son says, yes, we do, Daddy. And it's in our trunk. And it hits me what he's talking about. So I go over the trunk and I open the trunk and um, we have our sleeping bags. And I grab his sleeping bag and I grab mine and I pull them out. And she says, two's perfect. That's, that's perfect. That's exactly, she, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I hear my son say, he says, it's fine. My dad will just buy me a new one. He says, it's fine because my dad will just buy me another one. I, we gave them sleeping bags and said, you know, God bless you. You know, I, I wish we could do more. And that's, that's all they wanted, and we left. I, I completely forgot about the situation. Earlier this spring, we went camping, and Justice says to me, Dad, I can't find my sleeping bag. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where, and I remember. I remember that story. And I said, Justice, we're going to get you a sleeping bag. And I forgot about it. And then we were camping out in the living room one night. And Justice says, Dad, I don't understand why I don't have a sleeping bag. 
why, why does Jace have one, but why don't I have a sleeping bag? And, you know, I felt horrible. I thought, I, ha- I have to make it a point to go buy this boy a sleeping bag. And I forgot. I got a very small bonus from work. And, you know, if, if you're like me, any extra income you get just means you pay your bills a little earlier. <laughs> and, and so I had this little extra bit of money, and I said, Justice. I said, on Friday, I said, we're going to go, and we're going to go to any store you want, and we're going to buy you any sleeping bag you want. That was a mistake, by the way. Because <laughs> um, we ended up at Bass Pro, the Dick Sporting Goods. He's like, I'm not happy. Let's keep looking at more stores. And I'm like, son, you tell me what color, and I'll get your sleeping bag. But we went, and I bought him that sleeping bag, and I gave it to him. And I said, Justice, you don't even remember. I'm like, it just completely slipped your mind. But you remembered what we had in our hand. You remember what we had, and you gave it. My immediate response was, we have nothing. The disciples, the New Testament, are standing outside the gates. And they're actually breaking Jewish custom. Because if you stand outside the temple, that's where people would come and ask for money. And it actually broke Jewish custom to be able to travel, to worship at the temple, and to not give to someone outside begging. They walk up and they're like, silver and gold, we have none. But we do have something else in our hand. We do have healing, freedom, liberty, eternal life. And I want to encourage you in the midst of your dry place to turn your situation upside down by simply saying, what do I got in my hand? God, what can I give or do in the midst of my dry place? God, in the midst of my desert, I can look at me and I can look at my situation, as Pastor talked about last week, but you can alter your attitude and say, God, give me something to give. God, what what can I have in my hand? Listen, listen to this, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared us in advance to do so. Your situation might have just happened, but God has prepared works for you to do irregardless, in the midst of your dry place. Maybe work feels like your dry place. Maybe your marriage feels like your dry place. Maybe money in general. Maybe it's your health. Whatever it is that feels like your dry place, I would encourage you to look at your other hand. To stop looking at your situation for a moment and look at your hand. I ended talking to my son and I said, Justice, we have so much. But everything we have, we would leverage for one person to know Jesus Christ. Like, we would leverage everything we have. Listen, if you don't have a sleeping bag, you can go ask my six-year-old son, and I know he would give it to you. Everything we have, listen, believers, everything we have, we have to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just make us better, and not just so we'll have more hope, and not just so we'll have more love, but we have to take the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have to say, God, what now do I do? It's students here who are doubting your own faith. You know what you can do? is share in the midst of your doubt. I was sharing this morning. I don't understand the situation. You have Jesus on the cross. 
and he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? You know, nobody in here is God forsaken except Jesus Christ on the cross. He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? As soon as those words come out of his mouth, you know what the thief says? He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? In a moment of complete desperation, Christ's devotion calls someone else to say, I want that. You mean in my dry place, the driest moment a human being has ever faced, still, he's grateful, and he says, i, I got to have that. In your dry place, we think, oh, God can't use me. God can't. David is running for his life from his son. His son has sent an army to kill him. He's in the desert. He's just not being poetic here. He's running for his life in the desert from his son. And he says, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I have seen you in a sanctuary. I beheld your power and glory. Listen to what he says in verses 3 and 4. Your love is greater than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Here's the second kind of question I want to pose to you this morning is, are we after the approval of God or the approval of man? This is a a new revelation or a new belief that we've got to take on. Are we after God's approval or are we after man's approval? And I don't think very often you can have both. It is on you to stand against culture. It is... It is on you to live kind of like this prophetic example that says you might not be ready to receive this, but God is. Everyone else might, but I can't because of who God is. Peter and Paul had this great controversy in a New Testament church. I never want to be opposite Paul in a theological debate. (laughs) Good luck. Peter found himself there. Peter would hang out with Jews. And he would hang out with Gentiles. And with the Gentiles, he was like, hey, it's all good. You guys got it going on. He would talk to the Jews, and he'd be like, man, those Gentiles. Until they do this, this, and this, they're not really in the kingdom of God. Paul heard about this. I imagine Paul points his finger in his face, and here's what he says. He says, are you after the approval of God, or are you after the approval of man? And he goes on to say, this is in Galatians 2.14, he goes on to say, your behavior is keeping both Jew and Gentile from seeing God for who he is. And listen, your coworkers, it's okay for them to know you're struggling. Your family members, who you're witnessing to, you're encouraging, and it's okay for them to hear you say, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. I would encourage you, The next time you're struggling, pray. Ask someone else to pray. And I would even encourage you to go to a coworker who maybe isn't a believer in Jesus Christ and say, hey, will you you pray for me for this situation? Will you you just, I mean, you don't have to do it now, but will you go home and just pray that God will help me in this situation? Will you just, will you just join me in my suffering? Will you just join me in my difficulty? You know, last night, we had, I love Ella. This is my six-month-year-old daughter. She is beautiful and gorgeous and loud at night. (laughs) Last night, we put her to bed two or three times. 
When, when she cries in the middle of the night, I'm awake. What, what is that? What's, well, that's after my wife kicks me or elbows me. I'm awake. <laughs> and, and I'm ready to respond. And if one of my boys, they cry, it could be in a crowd of people. I, I know that that's justice. That's, that's Jace. Their cry instantly gets my attention. If you were to ask me over and said, Joe, why don't you spend the night? You have a newborn baby in your house. And at three in the morning, your baby starts to cry. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that pillow. I'm going to wrap it around my ears. And I'm going to roll over. I've been known to do that. No. Because <laughs> that's not mine. What's mine, I will do anything. There is a layer of intimacy. See, my kids will see me dance. You will never see me dance. <laughs> you will never hear me sing. And you should thank me for that. But my kids have heard me sing. They have seen me dance. The other day we had, Rana's sister was over and she has two young girls. We were watching a movie and at the end of the movie it had a song or whatever. And, and I thought I was the only adult in the house. So we've got the kids, and I grab Ella, and I'm dancing with her and spinning her, and we're dancing, and then I hear my sister-in-law that says, Joe, what's going on in here? And I stop immediately, and I'm like, oh, I just, uh, yeah, uh, tripped on the carpet there, you know, just, I don't want anyone else, but my kids can see all that. They could see all that. There's a layer of intimacy that they see me for what I am. My wife, even more so, sees me for who I am. And my goodness, she hasn't left yet. She sees me for who I am. There's a layer of intimacy that's there. And listen, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you can, your dry place to say, God, this is just peeling another layer for deeper intimacy with you. It's these cries that he says here. He's like, listen, your love is better than life. In verse three, your love is better. If I don't make it through this situation, God, it's okay as long as I have your love. I'm only after your approval, God. Intimacy with, with you is all I want. In verses 6, 7, and 8, he continues saying, on my bed I remember you. This intimacy. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, verse 7 messes with me a little bit. Um, when did God grow wings? I sing to you in the shadow of your wings. Now, I have this picture of angels with wings in my mind. And it's in art. And, but God, you have, some of you are looking at me weird. God, you, David thinks you have wings? I mean, David seems to have, like, great insight into who you are, God. But you need to talk to him about the wing thing. <laughs> Just not so sure that my God has wings. Just not so sure about that. And David's obviously creating a picture, but there's also a reality that he's speaking of. David is in a physical desert, but he's also saying, God, I'm, I'm far from that place of intimacy with you. What is what is intimacy in the Old Testament? What is, what is intimacy and power and, and the presence of God? What is that in the Old Testament? What is, 
What is the presence of God? What is it? It's not contained in individuals in the Old Testament. What, what contains the very presence of God in the Old Testament? What is, when David talks about the presence and power and intimacy, what is he? He's talking about the ark. He's referencing the ark. It's not captured in human hearts in the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's in the ark. When the Israelites would show up to battle, when they had the ark, they win. When Israelites show up to fight and they don't have the ark, 50-50. <laughs> but when they have the ark, supernatural takes over. I mean, the very presence of God is with them. And they win in battle. They are the only people on the face of the earth who say, our God is God. And we know him. And his presence is in this ark. David has the ark with him. He has the ark with him in the temple. And David references it early in the morning, during the watches of the night. Here's what David would do when he was in. He would kind of look at his wife, three, four in the morning, and say, okay, she's asleep. And he would pull the covers off real quietly. And he would flip one leg off the bed and make sure she didn't stir. He would flip the other leg off the bed and make sure she didn't stir. He would sit up. I imagine he's got a king's bed so it doesn't creak. But he gets up and he tiptoes out of the room and he goes to where that ark is. And he knows he can't touch it, but he just kneels beside it. In the shadow of the wings, on top of that ark, you have those two beings that have their wings covering their eyes with their hands spread out. And there David is praising and worshiping God through the watches of the night. He's on his face before God, singing of God's beauty and greatness and splendor as Early in the morning, the sun starts to come up and it casts a shadow as the sun's rising in the morning. And there David is through the watches of the night, all night long, he's right there beside the very presence of God. And that sun starts to cast a shadow over those wings. And there David is, he's looking at the ground and he says, you are my help. I sing to you in the shadow of your wings. I know you in this place of intimacy. So the question is, it's asked in Psalms 119.9, is how can someone hold on to that? How can we remain pure? How, how can our lives be marked with intimacy and purity with God? One has to be with the other. How, how can a young man keep his way pure? How was David able to hold on to purity? How was he able to do it in these verses? We know other times in his life where he wasn't pure. But how in these verses is he remaining pure? Listen, you can't make yourself pure. You, you can't do it on your own. And I want young people to listen. So what do we do about this issue of purity? Word of, Word of God clearly says, how can a young person, how can a young man, how, how could he ever keep himself pure? The answer is in that verse. It says, meditate on the word. Meditate on the word of God. You know, our, our Kansas City Chiefs, they're getting ready for the season. They're practicing right now. Now, when I get together with my family, um, I have a younger brother. I have two older sisters. We all have kids now. When we all get together, there's about 20 of us. And um, I'm kind of competitive by nature. And so we always end up playing a game of football. And... What we'll do is we'll kind of like, huddle up, huddle up. 
And we'll get over there, and in the dirt, I'll get down on the ground, and I'll say, okay, what I need you to do is run till you get to three, and then just turn around. And I turn to the other kid, and I say, see grandma's vegetable garden? Don't run into it, but run up to it, and then turn around, okay? And then you, what I want you to do, you're just going to make a diversion. You just run as fast as you can. And then you, I just want you to stay, and I'm drawing it out in the dirt. And we say, ready, hike. And they all do their thing, kind of listen. And normally it's always an incomplete pass. Okay, everybody come up. Okay, don't run all the way to the vegetable garden. Okay, go half as far. And you just turn around. You just turn around, I'll kind of pitch it to you. And then the next play, can you imagine? Sunday, you leave church. You go to the Chiefs game. And there they are, the very first play of the game. You see our quarterback gets down on the ground and says, okay, Dwayne Bow. Okay, so maybe like 10 yards and then turn around. I can't name another receiver on the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and then you, you know, you do that. And then you, you do this. And then the bigger guys block. Okay, ready? The owner up in his luxury box would say, wait, wait a second. What have you guys been doing? What about the practices? What about the preparation? I mean, don't you know we're on this field to win? You can't make the game up as you go. You can't draw plays out in the dirt. Listen, how can we remain pure? How can an adult remain pure? How can a young person remain pure? It's to make your decision before the game. Make up your mind before you're in the situation. Here's what I encourage you to do. You make up your mind, your stance of purity. And whenever you're tempted, remind yourself, that doesn't fit in my game plan. That temptation doesn't fit with where I want to be. I'm headed there. My destination is right there. That sounds like fun. Got to be honest, I'm extremely tempted to do it, except I've got a mission, except I've already decided you cannot write your plays in the middle of life. You can't decide, well, I don't know if I should go out to dinner with this person or not. I mean, I think it's kind of a business meeting, but I'm not really for sure. Maybe I just tell my husband I'm going, you know, with some of the late. You can't make up your mind in those situations. Well, you know, I'm, I kind of have the house to myself, and, you know, we don't normally do stuff like this, but who would really know? You can't make up your mind in a situation. Young person, you can't decide to be pure at a party. You can't decide to be pure when you're alone with someone. You have to decide now. You have to decide in intimacy with God, I am headed somewhere. And listen, church, we're headed somewhere. And I know this is old-fashioned preaching. But we have to make a stand that I'm headed somewhere, and this just doesn't fit in my lifestyle. It doesn't fit. It may be okay with you. Not really sure. But it doesn't fit in my lifestyle. It doesn't fit in a destination for where God has me this, this morning. Too many stories about justice. He's wearing athletic shorts. I say, get ready for church. We're leaving in 10 minutes. Five minutes later, I'm like, Justice, I'm leaving in five minutes. He's like, okay. So he goes and puts on athletic shorts, a long sleeve shirt, and then a T-shirt over that. Nothing matches. And there's a part of me that's like, okay. <laughs> and then I remember my wife would kill me. <laughs> and I'm like, Justice, that, that, that doesn't work. And he's like, why? I'm like, because we're, we're going to church. That does not, it, you can't wear that to church. And he's like, okay, Dad. And so he changes to another shirt that doesn't match. I'm like, Ronan, I need your help. <laughs> but everything he was putting on didn't fit where he was headed. 
And I don't want to be on to you this morning. I want to encourage you that in your dry place, that's just a place you're going through. And you see behavior of people in a dry place and you're tempted. But it's possible they're not headed out of the dry place. And I want to encourage you to dress and arm yourself like someone who's just passing through. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to do that because this isn't my destination. I'm just, this is just, I want to get through this. I want to get past this. A new belief is to spend time. I mean, David treasured this more than everything in the desert with nothing. As the sun is coming up, he's like, oh God, I remember. How I long, how I long to be in your presence like that again. And the last one. Verses 9, 10, 11, where David is looking long-term, saying, my destruction of my enemy, and that God will exalt me and I'll get through this situation. It's, it's a question of eternity. When Jesus turns to disciples and says, who do people say that I am? And then he says, now who do you say I am? Do, do, you, do you realize who I am? I I hope you were here last week for pastor's, pastor's message. I listened to it twice. I listened to it yesterday. I was in Oklahoma. Pastor shared that story at the very beginning. Um, our family wasn't here, so I was retelling the story to my wife, Ronnie. I kid you not. I'm in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. And I'm at a gas station. And there's a McDonald's connected to the gas station. And I open my door, and I'm pumping my gas. Very busy gas station. I, I don't know what the town is. I don't know how to pronounce the town anyways. And I'm pumping gas, and I just listened to pastor's message. Pastor is talking about, now I won't be able to retell it like he did, um, but he's talking about having a gun or a rifle out in, in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma uh, on a reservation and seeing a jackrabbit and trying to shoot at it. So I'm, I'm thinking of that. I'm just I'm sitting there pumping my gas, and I'm thinking of that story. And I'm not kidding you. I don't know what a jackrabbit is. <laughs> but a chicken. I'm not kidding. A chicken walks up to me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I look around. I'm like, sure, there's a logical explanation. Like, there's a chicken truck. <laughs> and, I, and there's no chicken truck. And I'm like, okay, let me turn the other way. Maybe there's a farm. And I look, and... You know, Burger King is across the street. And I'm like, there's no farm and there's no chicken street. Or <laughs> there's no farm and no chicken truck. Why is there a chicken at my ankles? And then my boys are like, Dad, pick it up. <laughs> I did try, but not for very long. <laughs> and they're like, Dad, let's take it home with us. <laughs> and I'm like, we got like a four-hour drive with, I assume to be a wild chicken <laughs> in our car. That would have been something else. But there's a chicken. And I, I just thought back to Pastor, Pastor's message. And now he had this authentic, true encounter with God that day in Oklahoma. And I'm not saying that chicken was sent by God. But what are the chances? <laughs> it was... So funny. I went inside the gas station, and people were like, did you see that chicken? (laughs) 
I'm like, it wasn't just me. <laughs> like, yes, there's a chicken out there in a parking lot at the gas station. And you're like, whose is it? And I'm like, I have no idea. I have no, but it was just, it reminded me in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma that I saw, not a jackrabbit, but I saw this chicken in the middle of your dry place. God is after you. He's after you. He's not hiding from you. I believe this morning you may feel like he's punishing you. And I can't say that's true or not. But if he is, it's still so that he can have greater intimacy with you. There is no one in here that is God forsaken. You are not God forsaken. Your situation might feel like it is, but it's not. Your situation is not God forsaken. You're asking the questions. You're walking with your doubts. God, where are you in my situation? Listen, you can be pumping gas, and God will sell a chicken to remind you, I'm here. One last story I want to tell you. I shared about my son, Jace, uh, a few weeks ago, last time I spoke on a Sunday morning. And we had a neighbor who broke his tablet, and um, I talked to Jace. I'll just recap the story real quick. And, and I looked at Jace, and I said, Jace, I believe that this is our Jesus moment. This is our moment um, and I want you to pray about what, what we can do. He went downstairs. I imagine he prayed, but he came up with his own tablet and gave it to the neighbor kid. And it meant a lot to me. And I prayed with Jace afterwards. I don't know that I told you this part. And it has an ending to the story that just happened after kids camp. I, um, I prayed with my son. And I said, Jace, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to just buy your new tablet. And I said, but we're going to ask God, just like to create a memory for you to do something in your life as a result of what you did. And I, I, kinda, I even stopped myself with my son. I'm like, that's not why we do things. We don't do things just to get. But I'm like, I'm, I'm, because of what you did, I'm going to ask that you have a Jesus moment. You created a Jesus moment for our neighbor kid. And I said, Jace, let's pray and ask God that you would have a Jesus moment. Kids camp. Picked up our kids on Friday, we're in the car, and we're leaving the church. I mean, we're not one mile from the church. And Jay says, Mom and Dad, I got to tell you something. And we said, what, Jace? He says, Mom and Dad, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, something else he told me. He said, and at the very end, the very end of camp, they asked, who wants to spend the rest of their life in ministry, in full-time ministry? He's like, I knew I should do it, and I respond to it. And I said, Jace, that's your Jesus moment. Those were your Jesus. Don't you remember? It didn't happen because of what you did, but that's your Jesus moment, Jace. Don't, don't you see how good God is? And he says, oh, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to pray that you always remember this principle. I mean, we don't have much, and it may feel like a dry situation. It's an illness that won't break, and it's a relationship that feels like it won't heal, and maybe you feel like you have a spouse who's drifting from the Lord, and it's scaring you to death. They don't want to come to church anymore. You know your spouse's spiritual walk, and it's scaring you the place that they're at, and you don't know what to do. It's a dry place. Listen, look at your other hand. 
look at you. We don't, it's not amnesia. We don't forget what's there. We're just going to focus here. We're going to focus. Listen, anybody on my street who breaks an iPad, we're going to replace it because who knows what God's going to do next. I got two more kids, you know. It's like we're waiting now. It's like anticipation. It's like, what can we do? It is something I'm trying to instill in them and I need to remind myself. What situation am I in that I can do something? What situation, listen, as a church, there are things we don't have. There are things we're hoping for. There are things we're dreaming for. There are things we're contending for. Good. But what can we do right now? What can we do right now? What's in our hand right now? What is our mission today? What can we do right now? There are people who need your hope now. There are people who need life now. There are people who just need encouragement now. There are people who just need you to give now. There are things we can do now. And you say, but I'm in a dry place. That's what's going to make it even more beautiful. That's what's going to bring an even greater intimacy than you've ever had with God. That even while you were struggling and even though you were in a dry place, that you focused your eyes and say, God, with this hand, I give. God, with this hand, I worship. God, with this hand, I will do whatever it takes to bring about the kingdom of God. I have a phrase I use with my boys. And I said, whatever we have, we're leveraging it for the kingdom of God. Whatever we have, like that can be a little bit scary because I'll give away your stuff. (laughs) Whatever we have in everything we have, we want to leverage to bring glory and honor to God and to see someone else's lives totally transformed by the love, peace, joy, and hope that only Jesus Christ brings. Will you stand up this morning? God, I I thank you that in our dry place, it's not God forsaken. God, I thank you that there's not anyone in here this morning who has done too much, doubted too much, had too much fear, made too many mistakes. We are not God forsaken this morning. God, I, I pray right now for everyone that's in here that feels like they're in that dry place. God, we, we want to ask and pray for rain. In David's dry place, he simply reminded himself how good you are. He had an attitude adjustment and his beliefs were totally transformed. And God, I pray today, I pray there are those in here today that they need a healing in their body. Christ, I pray that today is a day that they're completely healed. God, there are those in here today that have a marriage and a relationship that feels like it's falling apart. God, I ask for complete transformation and wholeness in that relationship today. God, there are people who are trying to make a big decision and they feel like they can't get a hold of you. They're praying, they're asking, they're like, where is the answer? God, I pray today in the midst of that, you bring about a peace that passes understanding. God, I pray for those in hopeless situations, today bring them hope. God, I pray for those who are not walking in a relationship with you. Those who say, not really even a Christian, I'm here today, and that's all you get. God, I pray today. This pastor shared about his radical encounter with God, and we, each and every one of us have that. We have that time where we encountered God, and it wasn't a collection of stories anymore. It was a message 
about the key to true life. And so, God, I pray for anyone in here today who doesn't know you. Today would be their day when they encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.